The following podcast is from Arlington Countryside Church. If you want to learn more about us, please visit us on the web at acchurch.org. Have you ever thought to yourself or actually said out loud to someone, you're not my boss? Have you ever thought that? You're not my boss. Or maybe you thought, maybe you even said out loud to someone, you're not a cop. You're not a cop. Now, what does it mean when you think that or say that? Well, that means that you're in a situation where someone is trying to tell you what to do. And what you're communicating, what you're thinking is, You have no authority over me. You're not my boss. You're not my mom. You're not my dad. You're not a cop. You can't tell me what to do. You don't have any authority over me. That's what we mean. Now, we're acknowledging we probably have authority in our life. We probably have someone or something that tells us what to do, but you're not it. So be quiet and go away. One of the most frustrating jobs I ever had in my life was uh, right after I graduated from college, I was getting married uh, to Karen in another six weeks, but I got a real short-term job uh, to hold me over until I went out to Phoenix to get married. And I worked for Green Shield Security as a security guard. I had a badge, I had a little uniform, I looked pretty awesome, okay? And my job that I was given was I had to guard a construction site in uh, Joliet. They were redoing a bridge over I-55. And so that bridge was under construction and the roads on either side of it. It was a big mess. Uh, but the locals had to drive a mile out of their way because they couldn't go through this. And I was hired to guard this construction site at night. So people wouldn't drive through it or mess with all the surveying stakes and you know the equipment and all that. And so I sat in this truck Clearly marked as a security vehicle. It had a speaker on top. It was all official and stuff. And what happened is people would drive, locals would drive up to the barricades, get out of their car, push the barricades off to the side of the road, drive straight through the construction site to the other side, get out of their car, move that barricade, get back in their car, and go right through it. And I'd be on my speaker saying, sir, don't move that barricade. Sir, don't move that barricade. He'd move the barricade. Sir, don't drive through this construction site. What did he do? Drive through the construction site. And I'd have to get out of my truck, move the barricade back, follow him to the other end, move the barricade back that he moved on the other end. And I did that all night long. And no one listened to me. No one listened to me. I think I had like three people who maybe turned around and left once I started talking on the speaker. Everyone else ignored me. And the message they were communicating clear as day was you have no authority over me. (laughs) That you're not gonna tell me what to do. I think sometimes we all cop attitudes like that. Sometimes correctly, but oftentimes uh, wrongly. And it's a question that I want us to pose to ourselves this morning as we begin this new teaching series is who has authority in your life? As you think about what you believe and as you think about how you live, the question I would ask you is where is that coming from? How do you make your decisions about what you believe and how you're gonna live? Who has the final authority in your life? That's an important question for you 
And that's an important question for us as a church. Now, to understand this issue, I want to go back about 500 years. 500 years ago, there was a growing group of men who were roused by the corruption and the abuses that they saw in the Roman Catholic Church at that time. And so these visionary men spearheaded a movement of God that changed the church and changed all of society. It's commonly referred to as the Reformation or the Great Reformation. The seminal moment was October 31st, 1517, when Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses on the church door in Wittenberg. And this month, the end of this month, October 31st, marks the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. And so this movement was a conviction that the church had strayed, had drifted away from the essential, original teaching of Jesus and the apostles. And so there were guiding principles that, that was a part of this movement that drove this movement of change and reformation within the church. They're commonly referred to as the five solas, five Latin phrases, and they summarize the impetus, the, the, the guiding principles that, that, that change church and society. Let me share these principles with you. The first was this, sola scriptura. Sola scriptura means scripture alone. And it's the conviction that the Bible alone is our authority. Next was sola fide. Sola fide is Latin for faith alone. The conviction that we are saved through faith alone in Christ. The third sola is sola gratia. Sola gratia means grace alone. We are saved by the grace of God alone. The fourth principle is sola Christus. Sola Christus is Christ alone. The belief that Jesus Christ alone is our Lord, Savior, and King. And then finally, sola Deo Gloria is to the glory of God alone. It's we live for the glory of God alone. And folks, it's these five principles that will serve us in the five Sundays in October. As we recognize the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, to see these principles, how they're relevant for the church today and how they should change our hearts today as God seeks to reform us and line us up with his revealed word. And so today, our, our emphasis, the thing we're focusing in on is the first sola, sola scriptura, the Bible alone is our authority. And so there's five implications of believing this, all right? There's five implications of sola scriptura. Let's go through them. The first is this. We believe because the Bible alone is our authority, we believe first that the Bible is sufficient. That's the first principle of sola scriptura, that the Bible is sufficient. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 says, All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. That first phrase in verse 16, all scripture is inspired. 
inspired by God. All scripture is God-breathed. Folks, the Bible isn't just another book. We acknowledge that. It's one of the primary beliefs of ACC, that the Bible is the infallible, inerrant, inspired word of God. And people, do you realize what a mind-blowing thought that is? That when you hold the Bible in your hand, it's direct revelation from God, that it's his very word. Oftentimes people say, man, I wish God would speak to me. If God spoke to me, I'd be more committed. If God spoke to me, I'd become a believer. If God would only speak to me, you know, if he'd like, you know, whisper in my ear, or if I stumbled out in my backyard one night and saw a burning bush or something like that. If God would just speak to me, I know I'd be a better person, right? And yet what we know is that God has spoken to us as clearly as he could speak, that his revelation is written and it's accessible for us. And all God wants to say to us is right here. For the Bible is the inspired word of God. And I love the phrase at the beginning of verse 17, God uses it. Folks, God uses it. Revelation 22, verse 18 and 19 says, I solemnly declare to everyone who hears the words of prophecy written in this book, if anyone adds anything to what is written here, God will add to that person the plagues described in this book. And if anyone removes any of the words from this book of prophecy, God will remove that person's share in the tree of life and in the holy city that are described in this book. So there's some stern warnings. You don't mess with the word of God. You don't subtract from it. You don't add to it. And you know what's so apparent? Virtually every false religion, virtually every cult does exactly this. They'll probably, most of them, give a nod to the Bible. They'll give lip service to the Bible and say, oh yeah, that's a good book. Yeah, absolutely, nothing wrong with reading that. But they'll say, but it's not enough. The Bible's good, but you need this sacred writing as well, whether it's ancient or more recent, they'll say, this is the additional stuff you need to really have the inside track. And folks, if anybody tells you that you need the Bible and something else in order to have the truth God wants for you, know that they're not from God. Because the Bible is sufficient. Can I give a personal encouragement to many of you as well? I see a lot of sincere Christians do this. Rather than read the Bible, they like to read books about the Bible. And that's a mistake. That's a mistake. And I want to encourage you, there's nothing wrong with reading books about the Bible. That's good. It's helpful. You can learn a lot, but it's no substitute, all right? And I want to encourage you, go straight to God's Word. Because the Bible is sufficient. Second, Implication of sola scriptura is this, that the Bible has final authority. The Bible has final authority. It makes the call in every situation. When it's all said and done, the, God's word is the umpire. It's the referee. It makes the call regarding questions of doctrine and morality. Now you see, it's not to say that we don't value traditions and we don't value uh, the writings of the early church fathers or the various councils. 
we recite the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed isn't in the Bible. It's written many, many, many years ago, but it's a historical part of Christianity, and it's said every Sunday all around the world in so many different languages. And you see, it reflects the Apostles' teaching. But you see, the Apostles' Creed, something like that, is subordinate to the Word of God. And we only believe it to the extent in which that it matches up with the Word of God. But it's submissive to the Scriptures. It's important to note that the Reformers didn't promote solo Scriptura. They didn't promote solo Scriptura, it was sola Scriptura. Here's the difference. If they had been promoting solo scriptura, that would have advocated a radical individualism where like the interpretation was left up to each individual, might mean this to you, might mean that to me, but that kind of thing. And like no one else could shed any light on any truth. It was just like a private thing between you and God. That finds no credence in the teachings of the reformers or the early church. Now on the other hand, sola scriptura acknowledges that wisdom can be found in the creeds and in the confessions and in traditions, but all those things are subordinate to and only to the extent at which they agree with Scripture will we acknowledge them. Well-known theologian R.C. Sproul explained the relationship. Listen to this. It's not on the screen, so listen careful. I, I, love, I love the way he phrased it. He said, although tradition does not rule our interpretation, it does guide it. Here's here's what he's saying. If upon reading a particular passage in the Bible, you come up with an interpretation that has escaped the notice of every other Christian for 2,000 years, or the interpretation you've come up with has been championed universally by recognized heretics, chances are pretty good you better abandon your interpretation. And so there's value in history and in writings and in traditions, but only to the extent at which they reflect the word of God and are in subordination to it. Jude wrote about this in Jude chapter three. He said, dear friends, I have been eagerly planning to write to you about the salvation we all share, but now I find that I must write about something else, urging you to defend the faith that God has entrusted once for all time to his holy people. That phrase he uses there, urging you to defend the faith, the way the word is used there, the faith, it's referring to the content of our Christian belief, the body of our doctrine, what we believe, what we don't believe, that's the faith. And Jude says, you defend it, that there's people seeking to corrupt it. There's people seeking to water it down, to add to it, to subtract from it. He said, don't let it happen. The faith has been delivered once and for all. I love that. The quality of the delivery is once for all time. Boom. Next implication of sola scriptura is this, that the Bible is clear. So important. But we have the conviction that the Bible is clear. Now, this isn't to say that the Bible doesn't have certain books or certain passages that are more difficult to understand. But by and large, the Bible is accessible to anyone. 
And it's one of the reasons why uh, literacy has been so closely connected to the spread of Christianity and why the inventing of the printing press by Gutenberg was, was, was so uh, strategic to the spread of Christianity because literacy and the spread of Christianity has been so hand in hand because when people have access to the scriptures, they can understand it themselves because the Bible is clear. This principle is understood with this little ditty. All right, you're going to say it out loud with me in, in another 30 seconds. So listen carefully, okay? Here's the little ditty. What we mean by the Bible is clear is this, that the main things are the plain things and the plain things are the main things. Let me say it again. The main things are the plain things and the plain things are the main things. Does that make sense? Say it out loud with me, okay? Say it out loud with me right now. The main things are the plain things. You people are sharp and on task this morning. Nice job, exactly. And that's standard operating procedure at ACC. If the Bible is clear, we're clear. If the Bible is dogmatic, we're dogmatic. If the Bible is fuzzy, if the Bible really doesn't directly address it, then our stance is a lot softer, right? And there's room for differing opinion. And, you know, but, but when the Bible is clear, we're to be clear. And that's a conviction we have. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. If a light is indistinct, it can't guide you. But God's word is designed to send you down a certain path in life regarding your morality, regarding your decision-making, regarding uh, your priorities and your beliefs. God's word functions in that way. Psalm 119, 130, it says, the teaching of your word gives light so even the simple can understand. Man, that verse gives me hope. You know what I'm saying? I'm not a genius. That's never been my strength. I've never been accused of that, all right? <laughs> but what I love is that if you come with a humble heart, even the simple can understand God's word and it can change them. And you see, the simple can understand it because God's word is clear. You can't read the gospel of John you can't read the Gospel of Matthew without coming to the conclusion Jesus was really different. <laughs> you couldn't read it without realizing, man, he wasn't just a normal human being. You couldn't read the Gospels without coming to the conclusion Jesus had a mission. And it involved dying. Because God's word is clear. The fourth implication of sola scriptura is this, that the Bible interprets the Bible. That the best way to understand God's word is to know all of God's word and to see how one passage in Isaiah reflects upon something Jesus spoke about in Matthew and to see what Paul wrote in Romans with what Moses wrote about in Deuteronomy and how it's all one book. And even though it's 66 separate books, it's all one book, and they back each other up, and they shed light on each other's writings, and the Bible ends up interpreting the Bible. Second Peter verse, or chapter one, look what Peter wrote. He said, because of that experience, we have even greater confidence in the message. 
Don't you want to have greater confidence in the message? There's so many competing voices in our world that say this is truth, or this is truth, or that's right, or that's right. And sometimes it's confusing and you don't know. And you'd love to have a message that you have great confidence in. And so Peter says, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. You must pay close attention to what they wrote. For their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns, and Christ the morning star shines in your hearts. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from a prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. And so Jesus acknowledged the writings of the Old Testament as being the direct word of God. And he said, you got to pay attention to it because none of that was man-made material. Now, uh, Peter writes again later on in his book, chapter three. Look what he writes here. This is really interesting. He says, and remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. This is what our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom God gave him. Speaking of these things in all of his letters, some of his comments are hard to understand. Have you ever felt that way reading Paul? Like reading in Romans and you're like, what? And you got to read it four or five times. Peter was a simple fisherman. He didn't have a lot of formal education the way Paul did. Paul was a lawyer. Paul was a scholar, a theologian. And, you know, sometimes he could go off and get super deep. Peter was just an uneducated fisherman. He's like, yeah, trust me. Paul sometimes is pretty deep. He can be hard to understand sometimes. So if you've ever felt that way when you're reading the New Testament, don't be embarrassed. (laughs) Don't be ashamed. Peter admitted, man, Paul's hard. Sometimes. So look what he said. He said, um, uh, some of his comments are hard to understand and those who are ignorant and unstable have twisted his letters to mean something quite different, just as they do with other parts of scripture. And this will result in their destruction. Now, did you just catch what he said about Paul's writings? He said, they try to twist Paul's writings just like they do what? Other scripture. Folks, Peter just put his buddy Paul's writings on par with the Torah, with the Pentateuch, with the writings of Isaiah. Those were all recognized scripture. And Peter said, Paul's writings aren't just the writings of a contemporary theologian. They're part of scripture. And so we acknowledge that the New Testament is as much scripture as the writings of Moses. The Bible interprets the Bible. Last implication of sola scriptura is this. We have the firm conviction that the Bible is the key to true spirituality. Peter said at the beginning of his second letter, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. Folks, there's not a lot of wiggle room there, all right? There's no missing ingredients for you becoming a more Christ-like person. We have everything we need for living a godly life. Primarily the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, right? 
the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that's given to us at the moment of salvation, that coupled with the word of God, coupled with being in a church, boom. You've got all that you need to triumph, to overcome your sinful habits, to live a life of love, to live a life that makes a difference in your neighborhood, in your workplace, and you can be more like Jesus. It's all there. That's all you need. Uh, he writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, he says this, like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk. He's referring to the word of God. Crave this. He said, like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment. I love babies. I think babies are so cute. I love to hold babies. And, you know, when a baby comes out and it's, say, 21 inches long, 22 inches long, and you can hold it in your arms like this, that's sweet. And that's neat. And that's cute, right? Because babies are supposed to be babies. But you know what? If 30 years later, that person is still 21 inches long, it's not cute anymore, is it? Because then you'd come to the conclusion something's desperately wrong. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. And there's some believers who come to Christ, they cross the line of faith, and they never get into God's word. They, 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 they give it lip service, but they never read it. They never try applying it to their life. And 10 years, 15 years, 20 years after becoming a Christian, they haven't grown an inch. And people, I gotta be honest with you, you're not cute. It's disturbing. Something's desperately wrong. And God's word hasn't played the role in your life that it's designed to do because God's word brings about spiritual transformation and growth. I say it all the time. I'll say it again. Reading your Bible is the most spiritually transformative habit you can develop. Let me say it again. Reading your Bible is by far the most spiritually transformative habit you can develop. One of the rhythms we had when we were in Honduras is we began every day in God's Word. We were up by 6 o'clock, 6.15. We'd be sitting on this porch, beautiful view of the mountains, sitting in a rocking chair, and we'd be reading God's Word on our own. And it made such a difference in our day. It makes such a difference in our day. You get your head on straight, you get your thoughts, thinking about God. You learned something significant. It energized you spiritually. And it was a reminder to each of us, we got to bring that habit home. There's nothing keeping us from doing that every day at home. You don't have to go to Honduras to read your Bible. But you see, once we got away from the texts and Facebook and emails and the clutter of our lives here and took time to read God's word, it changed us even as a team in one week. And the importance of that kind of discipline and that kind of commitment to reading the Bible cannot be overestimated. So I want to close by asking you this. Do you value this as a gift of God for you? Do you value this as a gift? You know how we can determine how much you value it as a gift? Add up the number of minutes you've spent in God's word in the last week. Think about your past week. How many minutes did you clock reading scripture. Ouch, right? Would you be embarrassed to share that number with the people around you? 
Do you have a big old fat zero sitting there? Folks, if you do, I totally understand. I've had more zero weeks than I would ever care to admit, right? But I want to challenge you. Get into God's word and it will change you. It will. And you know what? If your number this past week was zero, don't go like crazy overboard and say, all right, this next week, an hour a day in the word. You're setting yourself up for likely failure, all right? Learn to walk before you run, learn to crawl before you walk. And so if you've been zero lately, I think a better goal would be like three minutes a day or five minutes a day and work your way up from there. But you do that, God will meet you there, God will speak to you and you'll have what is infused within you to produce Christ-likeness and true spirituality. Martin Luther, when told to recant his teachings, said this, and these words resonate with my heart so much. Look what he said. When told to recant his teachings, he said, unless I am convinced by scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the popes and the councils for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything for to go against conscience is neither right or safe. God help me. Amen. And amen. Thank you for listening. If you want to know more about Arlington Countryside Church, please visit us on the web at acchurch.org.